Welcome you and those of you that are watching online. We're going to start with some announcements and uh, also with the one offering. So we are preparing for the great turkey giveaway that will happen in, in two weeks, November 20th. That's a Sunday. And at 2 o'clock that afternoon, there will be people gathering. The people have been registering um, by phone. And uh, as of last week, there were 50 registrations. We, we're expecting over 100 that will be registered. And we'll get to host these people and um, maybe pray with them and minister to their spiritual needs when they come to get the Thanksgiving meal. Um, we're missing several of our ladies today. The, uh, our ladies' retreat was held in Branson. and. Uh, I don't think maybe but one have made it back yet, so um, we're missing them today. That includes my wife. So, <laughs> hope you love guitar worship, because that's kind of what we got. All right. I'm going to invite our ushers to come to the front, and uh, we'd like to receive the offering for this, this Sunday and for next Sunday. The offering for one offering will go to the turkey giveaway. Um, just the turkeys themselves that we, the church buys those turkeys, that, as Cheryl shared, that's over $2,000, and, and we could use your generous donations to support this ministry. So, Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to be together in your house. We are so grateful that you are in this room and that you have come to meet us here. We're humbled. And Lord, we realize you have purposes for this gathering today and that you can use us and our resources to further your kingdom, to minister to people and reach people who need to, to know um, that they have personal relationship with Christ. So um, we, we ask for your help in generosity, Lord, in this giving. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you've got several uh, announcements in your bulletin, um, and I'll start with uh, the, the offering of thanks that's coming up in two Sundays as well. This will be November 20th, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We, uh, across the denomination in the Church of Nazarene, we take a missions offering, and so uh, next Sunday you'll get an envelope like this in the bulletin that will allow you to prepare to give, but be praying about that as we give to support a work that's in 164 countries. Some of the countries we can't even name because they are countries where it's illegal to be a Christian or to have missionaries, and yet we are there. And we call them creative access areas, and that's all we can say publicly. But we are at work around the world in 164 countries, and we want to encourage your generous support for that giving as well. Operation Christmas Child, you'll see that we need the boxes turned in um, in just a couple weeks. This is one of four empty boxes that's uh, available for somebody to fill. So I'm going to leave this right down on the front here. Out on the table out there, there's some boxes that have already been filled. And there, at least when I came in here, there were three other empty boxes. Let's just take care of these. It's a great opportunity to, uh, to do something that will reach um, people that we may never meet this side of heaven. Let me just say this. Some of you know that um, my missionary son married uh, a gal from Ecuador that he met there. She's an amazing Christian. And, and she was sponsored by Compassion International. So she was one of those children that somebody pays $38 a month to sponsor. And that helped her have an education at a Christian school and meals and, and, um, and developed her as a, as a Christian leader. The, the um, Samaritan's Purse that run this ministry for Operation Christmas Child would often come to the school she was attending in Rio Bamba, Ecuador, and distribute these boxes. 
And, and so we were promoting it at our church, and she was there for a service, and, and she goes, oh, let me tell you, I got those boxes. And she was from a single-parent home where there was great need. And she said, I remember, and it was interesting to me because of the, the things you put in the box, there's a list of the items, that, that she said, I remember getting socks. I got new socks in my, in my Operation Christmas Child box. And that blessed her. And so what we, we take for granted, but there's great need. And uh, Samaritan's Purse will, will take those boxes where they need to be and meet needs. So I just want to encourage you in that. You'll see in your bulletin uh, an advertisement for the new ministry T-shirts. And we want to get those ordered so that we have them to wear for the turkey giveaway. We'll all just be identified by our shirts that day. And uh, the deadline to order is this Wednesday. Teens Encounter is this weekend. And uh, it's five, so parents, listen up. Five o'clock this Friday is the time to meet and go. Meet at the church. Our kids' Christmas program is, uh, is, being, is planned, and the rehearsals will start this Wednesday. And that's kind of how they did it last year. It's Wednesday night rehearsals. If you've got kids that are in there, um, just want you to be aware to get them here on Wednesday night. Our monthly ladies' night is this Tuesday here at the church in the Commons area down by the Family Ministry Center. It's a potluck dinner, so ladies, if you're coming, plan what you want to bring. And then it's the, the sign painting time, which is some really cool signs. And, and the great turkey giveaway, we're trying to finish up the collection of the food today because then we are, are people that are going to fill in the gaps are, are going to have to go the next week and a half and get that done for us. So if you have food to donate for the meals for the turkey giveaway, um, there is a list out on the table out here if you're not aware. And if you just want to let me or, or Cheryl know um, that you're, if you're planning to go get some stuff but it's not here today, let us know that and, um, and we'll be able to plan accordingly. In your seat back, there's the Connect card, and if you're new with us today, I just encourage you to fill one out. Either um, give it to an usher when they pass the plates again, or give it to me after the service. But um, we'd like to, to know more about you so we can just stay in touch or pray for you. And on the back is prayer requests, so if you have special needs you'd like us to be aware of, um, let us know that. Would you stand? And we're so glad to have this opportunity to be together. And this is, we're just going to take a couple minutes for meeting and greeting the people around you. Let me encourage you to be bold in that. I know not everybody's an extrovert like me, but if you see somebody you don't know, go and welcome them and, uh, and introduce yourself. All right.
Good morning. If you remain standing, we'll, uh, we'll enter into some singing and praise to the Lord. This first song, I didn't know if we knew it or not, so we're going to sing the chorus a couple times. And I heard it on the radio this last week and, and was just moved um, in this series about God's grace. The chorus says, Your grace so free washes over me. You've made me new, now life begins with you. And when I heard that phrase, I'm like, oh, that really goes with a sermon series on grace. So uh, I want to make sure that we can, uh, we can sing this together, and hopefully the melody and the words will stay in your heart, and we'll be able to uh, just take it deeper as you hear the messages on God's grace. Oh, your grace so free washes all. without hope no place to be your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested my life began ash was redeemed only beauty remains and my orphan heart was given a name my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, oh, your grace, so free, washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my death and he called me his friend. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace. 
darkness re-roars heaven has But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. And Jesus surrendered and my life began. Oh, your grace, oh, your grace, so free washes Amen. Hey, first day of the week is Resurrection Day. That's why we worship on Sunday, not on Saturday. And so we can rejoice. Death was arrested, and it means new life for us. Praise the Lord. You unravel me. With a melody, you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am child of God. Yes, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb Love has called my name As I've been born again Into your family Your blood flows through my veins As I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child longer a slave to fear. 
seated. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and we'd like to show you a video of a lady um, from Nigeria who, uh, whose village was attacked by Boko Haram, the Muslim, uh, the violent Muslim gang from uh, Cameroon that comes across the border and, uh, and goes after Christians. So let's hear her story. My name is Rebecca. I live in the north of Nigeria. One evening I was out with my daughter and on our way home we saw smoke rising above our village. We were under attack. There was nothing we could do to defend ourselves. were married in that village. My wedding day, it was the happiest day of my life. Some members of our church gave us a wedding gift. It was a Bible. We read it together every day.
children who are old enough were ready to them and their friends. Let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 14. Verse 14. On the day our village burnt to the ground, my husband and my son were killed in the attack. I was devastated. I mourned for many months. Some of us were able to return to our village to reclaim anything that was left. Revelation were burnt, but the rest was mostly intact. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a wildflower. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. I shall return there. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is a husband to all widows. I look to him for every need. This is what I am still holding on to.
We really have no idea, do we? Would you stand and declare that scriptural truth? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. church we uh, we need to pray together and uh, so in a few moments our worship team will lead us in another song and, and we'll invite those of you that have uh, 
personal needs or want anointing for healing to come forward and, um, and we will pray with you. Um, Tony uh, will join me up here and, and we will be glad to pray with you. Um, some of you may remember Brandon Pogue. He was part of our youth group here. Um, pray for his family. He, uh, he died yesterday and uh, we just want to lift them up. It's tragic. Um, also, we're praying for Rusty Carroll, Rusty and Susan. Uh, Rusty fell and broke his hip um, Friday night, right? Friday afternoon. And, uh, and is still in the hospital awaiting surgery. He needs to have a hip replacement. So would you pray for Rusty and Carol today? It's kind of a, Rusty and Susan, sorry. It's kind of a frustrating situation, but um, we need to lift them up in prayer. God will, God will help and be with them. We're praying for Mark's brother, Chris, uh, who had a recent cancer diagnosis. And um, we've been so glad to have um, Stacy back with us, Mark and Stacy. She had her procedure done in uh, Kansas City, KU Med Center, and she's back. Um, pray in these coming weeks, um, what they inserted were some uh, wires in her brain that will help the doctors to be able to read the things that cause her seizures. And so over the next several weeks, that's what they're going to do. So when she has seizures right now, that's kind of a good thing in the sense that then the doctors get the information they need so that they can make some adjustments later that could hopefully bring great relief to the situation with her seizures. But it's really good to have, have them back with us. And uh, we just want to pray together. Um, also, um, after I lead us in some prayer, we're going to invite the teens to come forward as they're headed to encounter this week. And I just think it'd be powerful if the church body could just gather around our teens. Um, I, let me just share this. Um, I was part of a pretty powerful youth group. Um, uh, in, in, I had a youth pastor for five years who was pretty, it was pretty impactful on my life. Um, he's in heaven today. But what he did in ministry and, and the relationships with God that we began and the relationships with each other are still going on. I got a text this week. We have a Facebook page, a private Facebook page, and so we stay in touch and we can share prayer requests. And I mean, this is, this is 45 years ago, okay? And it's still happening because we're serving Jesus all over the country. And I got a text this week that said, hey, Fred, um, we're getting ready to do a cruise and wondered if you and Cheryl want to come with us. I've got like 20 people from our youth group, and, um, and we're getting old. Um, so <laughs> I just want to say that, that what happens in the here and now, like with our young people and our children, um, is, is really key to their future. And, um, and I had some dedicated lay volunteer Sunday school teachers that impacted my life. I will be forever grateful it's part of the reason I get to stand here on Sunday morning is because of the ministry they did back then. So we really want to, we want to pray over our youth um, before they head out to this retreat. And so um, if, if you would stand once again, and um, Tony and I will come down here with anointing oil. If you'd like to be anointed, just come forward during the song, and we'll pray with you. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll lead into our other prayer time with, for these requests.
Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And God, let us be a generation that sees. if you'd like to gather around our young people. All right. Okay. They're going to an overnight retreat, Camp Table Rock. Um, the possibilities, only God knows what they would hear from God's Word, how the Holy Spirit would speak to them. And let's pray for their, their response, their obedient response to God, okay? That can change you guys forever, and that's what we pray for. Thank you, Lord, for our teenagers. Thank you for um, parents that have been involved in their lives and, and um, that you have used the life of Christ in their parents for several of these families. And I want to thank you for that and pray your blessing on those homes. But also, Lord, we, we, as we send these teens to this camp, we're asking you to do a supernatural work. We thank you for the opportunity there'll be to reacquaint with friends um, from across our district 
and to have fun times together, but we also pray that the truth of your word will penetrate their hearts and that they will say yes to you, whatever you ask of them and, and whatever you need from them, that their answer will be yes. And I pray, Lord, you would build the foundations of relationship that I've been able to testify to in my own life that will hold them steady across the years until you come again. So we pray blessing over the encounter weekend. We pray, God, that you would speak and move in mighty ways that will create the stories that we will tell years from now of what God did. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We really do. Praise the Lord. Would you continue in prayer with me? Father, we lift up the family of Brandon Pogue. We, hmm, we think of the heartbreak of loss. the destruction that the enemy brings through suicide. In the name of Jesus, we declare that we are people of life, of resurrection, people of hope and joy, and we speak into the darkness. We speak, Lord, hope and salvation and life change and the possibilities that come from God's hand, we pray, God, that as a church, that we would, we would have a role in stemming the tide of people who have lost hope and given up on this life, that, God, you would move into our lives in such a way that you flow out. And in that flowing out, peace is spread in our world, and, and there people see there is a possibility to live this life with joy. It's not something we drum up, but it's from the Lord. And we pray too, God, that you would fill us with the message of hope, that the God of all hope would so fill us that you overflow out of us. And so we pray in our community for those who are living hopelessly today that it would not be too late, that we could have a role in, in spreading the message of salvation and hope in our world. Lord, we pray for Rusty today, and we lift this man to you. He's already been through many, many things, and you know the needs that are right there and how discouraging it can be to wait. So I pray for, for he and Susan. I lift them up to you, God. Bring the answers that are needed. And then, God, we pray for our sister Stacy, and we thank you that you've been walking with Mark and Stacy through these times, and we thank you you've gotten her through this procedure, and now there's other things to be done. We pray, God, you would work these things together for good in their lives. And then, Lord, we come to you with ourselves. We are here on purpose in your house today. And we pray that you would flow freely, that the message of your word and that the, the truth we need to respond to would be so clear as your Holy Spirit does his, his work and that, Lord, we would be changed by your presence and your power. Here we are. Lord, would you band us together 
with other churches in this community that together we would lift up the name of Jesus in, in this area and, and that he would be seen as the rescuer, the savior, the sanctifier, the one who can make all the difference. Use us, not only alone, but together. And we pray that uh, you will flow freely here and pour out direction, blessing, help, that we would hear your call on our lives, that we would say yes in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward for the giving of our regular tithes and offerings. I just wanted to highlight a verse over in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And you may remember this, when Paul met with the Ephesian elders, he was on his way to Rome, and it was a sad time because they figured they would never see him again. But he said to them, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so he's quoting Jesus. Now, that doesn't appear in the Gospels, but it, it was known in the early church that Jesus had said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I like how the New English Bible says it, and that's why I wanted to share it before the offering. The New English Bible translates that verse and says, happiness lies more in giving than in receiving. Happiness lies more in giving than in receiving. Well, as we give today, may you experience the blessing of God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to be in your house today, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you pour out to us constantly. <clears throat> Lord, as we offer back a portion of what you allow us to be stewards over, Lord, we just ask that you bless it and multiply it, Lord, and use it to further your kingdom. Lord, we love you so much, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, we're walking through a sermon series that I've called Journey of Grace. And God's love comes to each of us from birth to death because he continually wants to initiate a relationship with us. He never gives up. And every person on the planet is on a journey of grace from the moment we're born until we leave this earth. The grace of God pursues us throughout our lives. Think of that. The grace of God pursues us throughout our lives. There's the seeking grace of God that comes to us even before we're aware that we need God or that there is grace. The most significant moment on your spiritual journey is that moment where you come to God, confess your sins, open your life, and allow him to forgive you and come and live in you, and you experience saving grace. Well, after this experience of saving grace, God grows us to see a further, a further spiritual need. We call it sanctifying grace. Being raised in the church of the Nazarene, I think about God's grace in two distinct moments, saving grace and sanctifying grace. At age six, I responded to God speaking to my heart and revealing the sin in my life, the things I had done against him, and I came forward in a service like this and knelt at the altar to confess my sins and receive Jesus as my Savior. And that night, I knew my life was changed. I had begun a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was about two years later that I was in another service, an evangelist was preaching. It wasn't even in a Nazarene church, but God was speaking that night and talking to me about surrendering my life completely to him. I went forward again, and I laid my life on the altar, if you will. I gave myself completely to God. The holy God calls us to be holy. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cruel if he called us to a life of holiness and did not provide the way to do it? A loving God would never do that. Instead, God knows what he calls us to, and he provides all that we need to be fulfilled in the calling to holiness. And although we might step back and say, well, I could never be good enough or I couldn't be holy, you can sense that God will say to you, we can do this together. Does anybody here know the significance of January 6, 1979? No? Oh, there's one lady right down here. It's, it, it's my wedding day. <laughs> if I ever forget that, I have somebody to remind me. <laughs> I stood at the front of a church. We stood in front of a, a church, and I, but I stood at the front. It was one of those days where you, now when they do weddings, a lot of times the groomsmen come in, and they have a, uh, one of the, the bridesmaids on their arms. But in those days, the, 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 bride, or the groom and the attendants, the groomsmen, came and stood at the front and waited for the ladies to come in. It was their grand moment, right? Anybody remember those days? That's, that's not how it's usually done anymore. Things have changed. But I stood at the front with some of my best friends, my two brothers and some of my best friends, 
and, uh, and looked back to the rear doors to the sanctuary with about 300 people on that beautiful January day in Denver, Colorado to watch the most beautiful woman in the world to me come through those doors on the arm of her father. And I committed my life and my love to her for the rest of my earthly days. Nobody twisted my arm. I was amazed it could happen. And at the end of the day, I was married, and I had trouble believing that somebody so beautiful would love a guy like me as much as I loved her. And I made a total commitment of my life to Cheryl till death do us part. Now, her parents, both of our parents um, lived, married for a long time, um, almost 50 years for my parents and, and over 50 years for her parents in marriage. And her parents said to us before we got married, they said, you know, when, when we got married, we said, I love you. And then they said, but we really didn't know, well, they were quite young when they got married, we really didn't know when we got married much about love. And we love each other now like we never could have known we could love each other then. And we thought we were in love a lot right then. It was enough to get married. But we now understand more of what they were trying to communicate to us, that a 20-year-old groom and a 19-year-old bride could not understand in that moment in 1979. Can anybody else relate to that? And we're on a journey, a journey that's a full commitment to each other, but also a journey where we grow and, and we, we grow in love and we grow in care for each other, and, and it's richer than it's ever been before. And I would say to my wife, we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> now, before you go and ask Cheryl, I'll just tell you right up front, I have issues. Um, I'm not perfect. I have, I have weaknesses and shortcomings, but I am definitely fully committed to my wife in marriage. So if you take that human relationship of marriage and you think about relationship with God, the commitment is similar to what God asks of us. He calls us to a holy life, and the entry to that holy life is that we would be all his. We would be totally committed to God, and as we commit ourselves fully to him, and we re, we, he receives all of us, then we receive all of his resources, all that he is. And that surrendered commitment to God is made possible by sanctifying grace. And there's a wonderful example in the New Testament about a person that we can watch the change of sanctifying grace happen in their lives. It's the Apostle Peter. I want us to go to John chapter 21, and I'll put the verses up on the screen. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has appeared to the disciples, so Peter has seen Jesus alive. He knows this is real, but a lot happened before Jesus' resurrection. 
So here's what the scripture says after Peter had seen Jesus risen. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. <laughs> so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing, at, nothing all night. And at dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who he was. He called out, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side, right side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of fish. So they did, and they couldn't draw in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So near the end of John's gospel, Peter goes fishing. Now, fishing was Peter's origin story. I mean, that's, that's where he started. That's where Jesus met him. It's where he came from. Fishing was what Peter used to do before Jesus called him to leave the nets and fish for men. Peter then walked closely with Jesus for three years. He was discipled by Jesus, but the agony of his betrayal of Jesus before the cross and the despair of the crucifixion and then the inexplicable reality of the resurrection, Peter had apparently had enough. His brain was jumbled. He didn't know what to make of it all. Do we have any fishermen here? Come on now. You're out there, right? Have you ever gone fishing just to try to clear your mind, just to try to sort things out, right? Go out there by yourself in the quietness and, and somehow the dust can settle and, and things can be seen a little clearer, right? So Peter was up against these emotional and spiritual struggles that I think were threatening his commitment to follow Jesus. How would you deal with knowing that you were the one who had denied Jesus just before he was condemned to die on a cross? It's not that he wanted to come up short. That was the last thing he wanted to do. But it, it was revealing that the journey of grace had taken him to places where his own personal resources were not enough. He couldn't navigate this on his own, so there was a crisis brewing about his future. Now, when we flip the pages of Scripture from John chapter 21 into Acts chapter 2, we'll realize that fewer than two months later, it's Peter, this same guy, standing in front of an open market and strongly proclaiming salvation in the name of Jesus. Wait, what? The same guy? Which causes us to say, what did we miss here? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But how does a person who was a loyal follower of Jesus, but who came to the end of his reserves just a few weeks before, become a courageous evangelist proclaiming life to thousands, even to those who had tried to snuff out the life of his master and king? How is that possible? 
And what we have to realize is that no amount of moral will, no amount of spiritual good intentions could make up the difference to take Peter from the guy who said, I'm just going to go fishing, to the guy who stands on the day of Pentecost and thousands receive Christ as their Savior. It's only the grace of God that made that possible. It was sanctifying grace. So if you have that outline there in the bulletin, you'll see where I'm going with this. But first of all, we have to come to terms with the past. The past leaves a mark. From the past, we, could, we may have amassed baggage, um, residue, things hanging on, wounds, default settings of how we have always lived. And an honest movement toward sanctifying grace means we have to recognize those things and then consecrate them, turn them over to God, release them to God. The places we've been, the things we've done, the, the, I call it the B.C. days, the before Christ days. Yes, we've experienced his saving grace, so we have been changed and we've been forgiven for those things, but some of those things just have a way to hang on. And it can be like an anchor holding us down, pulling us back. So I would ask you this, what are some elements from your past that are still hanging on? Things you're still struggling to deal with in the day by day. They're forgiven, they're under the blood. But they're pulling on you the wrong direction. Those are what you need to release to God in your surrender to sanctifying grace. Then he had to come to terms with the present. Just weeks, weeks after saying, I'm going fishing, Peter is sitting on a hillside with the other disciples. He's listening to Jesus. And the scripture records in Acts chapter 1. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, that was the, that was the burning question. Now we've got his attention. Let's ask Jesus. Hear his answer. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. And try to process all that. So then the scripture goes on to say, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Then when they arrived... They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Then, when the day of Pentecost came, 
They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Picture that setting. They say that Jerusalem probably had swelled with an additional million people. From all over the world, all these different tongues, the languages that they spoke in their native lands, and they were in Jerusalem trying to worship God. No wonder the disciples had to come out of that room with other languages and be able to proclaim the truth to each of them. And Peter stood among that great crowd and declared the truth about Jesus. And then he referred back to Joel, saying, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. Oh, I don't have it on there. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Um, I would encourage you, because this is very specific in its prophecy. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. This is not something I wrote in the sermon, but it, it just strikes me that we need to listen to our kids, especially as they mature in the Lord and hear what they might be saying and, and as mature believers assess whether God is speaking something through them. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. You're going to have to do a self-assessment of your age and how you fit in the description of this verse. Your young men will see visions. If you would consider yourself in that category as young, are there things God is showing you? If so, are they things that need to be shared with others? God things. Your old men will dream dreams. I was uh, working with this scripture on a, on a personal retreat, and the Holy Spirit, clear as day, said, Fred, you're an old man. You've gone from seeing visions to dreaming dreams. And I began to pray, Lord, give me the dreams I need to dream. I'm pretty sure you're not done with me. I'm ready to dream dreams. The scripture goes on and says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. In Acts chapter 1, week, just weeks after Jesus rescued Peter from his fishing boat again, okay, Jesus declares that Peter and, and the other disciples will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But then Jesus puts a time out on it because they cannot expect to, to, to go do what he's going to ask them to do, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth with the resources that they had been operating with because, because when Jesus was arrested and then taken to the cross, it was obvious those resources were not adequate. They failed. Every one of them either ran or denied knowing Jesus. So time out. You need to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of my Father. So it's off to the upper room for 10 days 
of prayer and seeking God. And that's where the change happened because they stopped and obeyed. Sanctifying grace is the result of seeking God, seeking all that God is and has. But the work that happens in the upper room is costly to us because it's a place where we come face-to-face -face with our own weaknesses, our lack. We, we see the magnitude of his purpose for our lives. I mean, we get enough of a glimpse of it that we go, oh, no, no God, I can't do that. And he comes and says, that's what I made you for. And in that, we have this gap between what we think is possible and what God says is possible. And something has to come between to take us from here to there. And that something is sanctifying grace. And then we have to come to terms with the future. The gap in realizing that God calls us to be holy and he calls us to do things that are going to require great boldness and courage and our inability to get there on our own because we've come to the end of our own resources before, it's usually not a good ending. That's where we meet sanctifying grace. For many of us, when we came to Jesus and experienced saving grace, he forgave our sins, he came to live in us, we were willing to hand over the, the stories to Jesus so he could redeem them, the stories from our past, all those things, hand them over to Jesus. Unfortunately, we kept the pen. And we have our own little secret stash of paper I, th I think, for my own life, I was thinking, I'm going to write a few more chapters myself, right? And sanctifying grace leads us to that moment of surrender. Palms down. Where we let him have it all. Even the pen to write every, every page in the future of our life, every chapter that's to follow. I think you know the Holy Spirit is really good at making us aware of our spiritual needs. He's kind of relentless. <laughs> and after we experience God's saving grace, God's Holy Spirit begins to reveal that there's a struggle that's happening inside of us with sin. Paul does a great job of describing it in Romans chapter 7. He says, It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And the issue arises because the old life and the new life are not good roommates. They're inside of you, and they do not live well together. 
If you read Romans chapter 7, that's what it's about. The struggle that happens because these two don't want to live together inside of you. And even though we have a new life through God's saving grace, the battle against sin still continues in us. The tension we feel can be used by the Holy Spirit to show us there's a different way to live. We don't have to live the rest of our days in this constant battle with sin. It's like we have a divided heart because the old life and the new life are attempting to to share space. The only way to end this battle is allow the Holy Spirit to be the leader in in your life and to evict that sinful nature. Romans chapter 8. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. That's a pretty all-encompassing statement. If you have a heart that says, I want to please God with my life, this this verse speaks to where you may be, and you need help because there's a gap there from the holy life God calls you to, to to your own inability to live that life. And sanctifying grace deals with our sinful nature. It comes to us as we surrender completely to God. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so what I put in red on this this slide is something I heard um, um, said about this passage. You're either on a path to conform to the ways of the world or you are trusting God to lead you on a path that transforms you out of the old and into the new. Have you ever ridden a four-wheeler up a steep hill? It might pump some adrenaline. So when you sit at the bottom, you know there's no halfway. You don't want to find out what will happen if you go halfway up that hill and stop. If you let off the gas, you're going to start going backwards. Now, I have some limited experience with this. There's a hill in North Dakota I will never forget because it was a steep hill and I was on a four-wheeler with two other guys riding up that hill. We wanted to get to the top and see the vista view, see the whole valley. It was, it was a, a great sight. But we talked about it at the bottom, and, and, and two of us were on borrowed four-wheelers and not very experienced. And, and so the experienced guy who owned the four-wheelers and didn't want to have them torn up <laughs> took time to explain to us at the bottom, hey, fellas, When we start up that hill, you go full throttle and you don't let off until you get to the top. Well, we took off. And in that roar of noise that happens when you're full full throttle on a four-wheeler, I was about halfway up that hill and I heard the one behind me cut out. And I thought, did his motor stall? What happened? 
And what had happened was he had the more bouncy tires on his four-wheeler, and he, and he hit a couple bumps going up that hill, and it kind of threw him off the trail, and all of a sudden he's headed into deep weeds, and so he stopped. Well, he's still on the hillside, the steep hillside, and both of us looked back and saw him in that split second where he was stopped on that hill, and we knew he's not going to stay stopped very long, right? And we were like, no, give it gas. And he started to roll backwards and gain that momentum going the wrong way. And it was frightening. I really thought he was going to flip and roll that four-wheeler, and it could have been the end of him. He braked in the weeds, and it stopped. We were both very relieved and surprised. And the lead driver clicks on the brake, heads back down the hill to see if he can get him out of the weeds and get him back on the path. And then I heard him coaching him, man, you got to go full throttle all the way to the top of the hill. Do not stop. And here's the deal with the God life. That's why I told you the story. You can't do it without going completely in without completely committing to it. You've got to be all in. You've got to be willing to, to start from where you are with God's saving grace and then hit the throttle and go all the way to the top. But if you'll get on God's path through saving faith, he is not going to start something in you that he doesn't know how to finish. So God invites us on a journey to become more Christ-like, that we are powerless to do on our own. You can't do it. So with prevenient grace, you are invited, you're, you're, you're sought after for this entering into the life with Christ. And then with saving grace, you're forgiven and you're, you're changed to live a different life. By sanctifying grace, you're empowered to live out this life with his victory, with his power. It's called holiness. It's a call to surrender all that you are and all that you have and all that you ever will be and then receive all that God has for you. I'm going to invite our worship team to come to the front. And this may be your need today. It's a moment of surrender. Let's not complicate it with a bunch of theological terms. If I have, I apologize to you. But the heart of sanctifying grace, our part, is to surrender to God. Lord, you can have all that I am and all of me. I give it to you. Let him do the rest. He understands all that is encompassed in your surrender. But if you've experienced God's, God's saving grace that's forgiven your sins, have you experienced his sanctifying grace that will fill that gap between what he calls you to be, holy, and your own limited resources? The sanctifying grace of God will cover the gap and make you all that God intended for you to be when he called you to follow him. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, I want to thank you that your truth is timeless. You made us. 
We've come to you with our sins and found that you had the power and the grace to forgive us no matter what we've done. And today as your word has been proclaimed, I believe that in this room there are those that need to just come to that moment of surrender because there's a gap there in their lives like there was in Peter's life that caused him, even though he'd followed Jesus for three years, to say, I'm going fishing. A phrase that might have indicated he wondered if he was done. God, I pray today, knowing that you're able to cover that gap in our, from our own inadequacies to making us holy. You cover it with your sanctifying grace. I pray, God, that that would be the release, the surrender that people experience today before they leave your sanctuary. So I pray for obedience, courage, and for your will to be done in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand reverently in his presence? He's here. And I believe he's calling to some of you for that moment of surrender. Would you release yourself completely to him? If you'd like to pray, our altars are open. Worship team is going to lead us in a simple song declaring our heart's desire. We invite you to sing along. Respond to God. Let's obey him.
call us to you make available faithful is the one who calls us who also will do it Lord help us to live in the truth of your word help us to share it with somebody else this week Lord may your grace so flow through us that people who are living outside of your grace who may not even be aware of your grace would encounter your grace this week and now I pray over this congregation the truth of your word to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. As you go today, remember, we're still praying up here. If you'd like to come and pray and join us, I'll stay right down front here. But let's seek God, and then let's go serve him. You're dismissed.